Welcome back to Indisputable. I am Ravana filling in for Dr. Richie. Could not be here today, but we're going to have a great show for you all. We're going to talk about my favorite, George Santos. We're going to talk about some horrible discrimination that's going on in housing, in schools, all across this country. Um, We're going to talk about Trump's sinister plan to weaponize the court system to prosecute his political enemies and detractors if he should come back into power in 2024. Um, And joining me to discuss all that and more is law and crime legal analyst, Dina Dahl. I'm so excited to be on the show with you today. I've been watching your videos. I was actually just watching one this morning. um, And I'm so glad we're going to be able to break down all this news today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm excited to see you too. I've been following your social media as well and love what you have to say. Fantastic. Well, we're going to have a great show today. Let's jump into this first story. Former congressman, currently unemployed George Santos, has a lot of time on his hands now that he's been removed from Congress. So he has started a Cameo account and he made a Cameo message addressed to Senator Bob Menendez. Take a look at this. Hey, Bobby. Uh, Look, I don't think I need to tell you, but these people that want to make you get in trouble and want to kick you out and make you run away, you make them put up or shut up. You stand your ground, sir, and don't get bogged down by all the haters out there. Stay strong. Merry Christmas. Now, The cameo was commissioned by fellow Senator John Fetterman, posted this on Instagram. I thought my ethically challenged colleague, Senator Menendez, could use some encouragement given his substantial legal problems. All of you are probably familiar with the fact that John Fetterman has been one of the most vocal members of the Senate, Senate calling for Senator Menendez to resign from his position given that, as he alluded to, uh, him being ethically challenged, has some ongoing investigations against him. Of course, that's something he and George Santos have in common. Um, Let's talk a little bit about what Cameo is. So I mentioned now George Santos joined Cameo, got a lot of free time. So he set up this account where users can request a personalized message from him At now $400 a pop, he was starting at $75. I guess he decided he's a hot commodity and started raising the price up higher and higher. And now we're at $400. Uh, And he's probably feeling like a hot commodity because people are sending him money to get these personalized videos. Here are (laughs) a couple more videos from his Cameo account. Um, thank you for the love. Thank you for the kindness. You know, Botox keeps you young. Fillers keeps you plump. <laughs> Look, don't let the haters get to you. Haters are going to hate. And if you have haters, that means you're doing something right, girl. I've been alerted that Sneeko is a soy grifter and likes to be twerked on by fresh oily butt in the club. Screw the haters. The haters are going to hate. Look, they can boot me out of Congress, but they can't take away my good humor or my larger than life personality, nor my good faith and the absolute pride I have for everything I've done. Please spend some money on yourselves from the gift this year. 
It could be anything from Botox to luxury goods of any kind, like a trip to Hermes or makeup from Sephora or a subscription to OnlyFans. Obviously, uh, the joke of that last video is that those are things that um, George Santos uh, illegally, allegedly spent his campaign contributions on. The amount of money he spent on OnlyFans has me a little bit concerned. And I'm going to be a killjoy here for a moment. Maybe, maybe I'll let you all decide I'm going to be a killjoy. Um, I don't think <laughs> that we should be sending money to George Santos. As funny as it is to get these personalized messages, I really enjoyed the message that someone requested of him talking about uh, misogynistic influencer Sneeko. But even if it is funny, even if it makes us, you know, laugh momentarily, at the end of the day, you're still giving money to this massive fraud, George Santos. Incidentally, also what he's been accused of doing, fraud. But I don't think that we should be giving money to someone who's been so transphobic. I mean, just earlier this week, he had a little prop set up before he was before he was removed. He had a little prop set up in uh, the halls of Congress and was saying, we need to trust the science. There's only two genders. No, this is an individual who has been very vocal in his support for the massive amounts of, of civilian deaths happening in Gaza. I really, really don't think we should be helping this man fund his legal fees. I mean, maybe that's not what he's going to use the money for. It seems that he's not very good at handling his money or other people's money. So maybe he won't be putting this towards his legal fees. I don't know. But either way, I don't think we should be giving him money. Uh, Dina, maybe I'm just, you know, like I said, a killjoy. But that's my opinion. What's your takeaway on the George Santos cameo situation? I mean, that was my first thought, too, actually, about John Fetterman. You know, the fact that he paid him to do a video kind of trying to troll Senator Menendez, I think it's kind of icky. I mean, there's there's he literally gave George Santos money and he's the most corrupt, actually, politician, at least that we know of in kind of modern history. The fact that so many Republicans were willing to vote him out in this era of Republicanism says quite a bit. And, you know, I, I think um, a Senator Fetterman's kind of progressive uh, values are being questioned quite a bit with some of the actions he's taken. And so to do this, which kind of garners more publicity for the cameos for George Santos, I think was, I, I, it left a bad taste in my mouth. I don't think that that was it just seemed like somebody looking for publicity himself. And at the end of the day, like nobody should be using Congress to make money. Right. And that's really clearly what George Santos did running for it. The fact that he lied about almost everything on his record, the fact that a bipartisan ethical committee in the House found so much uh, fraud, you know, it's, it's very likely he is going to get convicted, if not all on many of those counts that he's, uh, you know, charged with says quite a bit. I mean, he he would take the credit card and just charge things on the credit card of one of his donors. I mean, it was blatant, very blatant actions. And then, you know, so soon afterwards, really trying to make money off of the fact that he used his position and as a candidate and then actually in office to enrich himself. He's just doing it some more. So I absolutely agree. We shouldn't be giving him any more money. 
any more encouragement. I mean, we need to take money out of politics, not literally start like giving them our credit card. And, and that's essentially what you're doing here when you're paying for the cameo. I, I think you make a really excellent point, especially when it comes to Fetterman, who has found himself in hot water recently, particularly over his statements uh, about Gaza um, with progressives, uh, with those on the left, members of his own party, um, even members of his own party in Congress. He's found himself in contention with and it does feel like this was just an attempt to maybe soften his image. George Santos has been a massive joke <laughs> lately. Uh, I mean, obviously, I played into it a lot. The TYT audience knows that I'm obsessed with George Santos. I don't like him, <laughs> but I have just I just need to know what motivates him and these lies because they're so nonsensical. I mean, why lie about your mom dying in 9-11 when she died in 2016 and at the time of 9-11, she was living in Brazil. Why lie about having Holocaust survivor grandparents? It just to what end do these lies serve is a fascination that I have. Uh, but it does feel like maybe he was trying to soften his image, get some better publicity, but it totally undermines the argument he's making against Bob Menendez, who's also been accused of, you know, uh, violating ethics, taking bribes, committing fraud, that you would give money to someone else who's been accused of those things in your call for Bob Menendez to resign. It just isn't helpful. Definitely, definitely feels icky, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, but I guess I might not be the only person who has this fascination with George Santos because it was just announced that there is a movie in the works from HBO. So a little more on that from the Hill. HBO is reportedly set to produce a movie about Representative George Santos, who was just expelled from Congress after a damning ethics report. Trisano's book, The Fabulous, The Lying, Hustling, Grifting, Stealing, and Very American Legend of George Santos was published last week. Former Veep and Succession producer Frank Rich and Mike Mikowski, writer-producer of HBO award-winning film Bad Education, uh, will executive produce the Santos's film project with Trisano serving as a consulting producer per deadline. The unnamed film now under development will focus on the meteoric rise of Santos, who won his state's third congressional district in last November's midterm elections. And I was able to say this on the show last week. I'll say it every time I get the opportunity. I think that Veep is as someone who's worked in politics, one of the most accurate representations of working in Washington that I've ever seen. Of course, it's a comedy show, but it cuts through, you know, the the image that has been painted of sitting down with your detractors or the opposition party and debating the issues and kind of cuts right down to all of the dirty things that actually go on in Washington. So I would trust these individuals to, to make a good, honest representation of George Santos. But Dina, I guess my uh, hesitation about a project such as this is that we are we lionizing someone like George Santos, who's been you know accused of all of this criminal conduct, who's probably going to go to jail for a good amount of time by creating these films. I mean, uh, maybe a documentary might be might be more uh, you know 
meaningful and impactful to sort of, you know, investigate why he was able to achieve such a position of power despite the, you know, massive list of lies that was his resume, as opposed to putting it in a dramatic uh, biopic form. I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but I feel a little bit apprehensive about this as well. It does sound like it's going to be more of a kind of a fictional drama with them in place uh, rather than a documentary, which, you know, here's the thing is some people say, you know, we had the industrial age and we're living in the entertainment age, which I think makes sense. We had a president who was on a reality TV star and that was an asset to him. And so I do, and content is king, right? We can't get enough entertainment in our lives. And so I do think that we are making him, he is entertaining. Like you said, it's like, He's very entertaining and they're going to make an entertaining show about him. Does that give him a bigger platform? Does that allow other people to want his fame? Um, you know, there are so many more important subjects that don't get talked about because we focus on maybe the person who's more entertaining. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And I think the only kind of silver lining on this is the Justice Department, because we have found this kind of with Donald Trump. Like he was able to say anything he wanted in political rallies, uh, say one thing and, you know, completely lie and say something different in another rally. And, and there wasn't a lot of um, nobody really held him to that. Right. He, yes, he was impeached, but he wasn't convicted in Congress. And I, yes, maybe he lost the election, but then he tries to still hold on to it. And it's really only the Justice Department that we're finding is truly holding him to his actions. And I think that's going to happen with George Santos. And so although um, lionizing him, like you say, in a documentary may create people who want to follow him, I think his conviction will hopefully be enough to counteract that. And, you know, when he's behind bars, it becomes a little bit less likely someone's going to want to follow in his footsteps. And I think that shows that, you know, I do. I really think right now in this time that we have, our Justice Department is like our saving grace. Uh, it's almost impossible to control our justice system, even though, yes, uh, presidents appoint different judges. There are just too many across the country. They retire and come in at different times. It's too hard for any uh, one party to control. And I think that's so um, good for our democracy and a real check on illegal actions that politicians might take. Absolutely. And, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, <laughs> we'll see, uh, you know, justice in the cases of Donald Trump and in a George Santos. And we're not going to end up in a scenario where Trump becomes president again. And then George Santos is angling for a pardon. But you know what? Who knows? So we'll keep everybody updated on the Chronicles of George Santos. I wish we didn't have to cover this again. I wish there wasn't another unfortunate update in this case, because I would like for this child to be able to enjoy school, to be able to go and get a meaningful education, to be safe, to feel protected in school. But apparently, the Texas public school system has different plans for him. Now, you'll all remember 18-year-old Daryl George, who's the Texas high schooler who was previously disciplined over his locks hairstyle. He returned to classes on Tuesday only to be suspended again 
for refusing to cut his hair. The incident has renewed a months-long standoff over a dress code policy the teen's family calls discriminatory. A little bit more uh, from Associated Press. George was suspended for 13 days because his hair is out of compliance when let down, according to a disciplinary notice issued by Barbers Hill High School in Mont Bellevue, Texas. It was his first day back at the school after spending a month at an off-site disciplinary program. George already has spent more than 80% of his junior year outside of his regular classroom. Now, the AP recaps, uh, he was first pulled from the classroom at the Houston area school in August after school officials said his braided locks fell below his eyebrows and earlobes and violated the district's dress code. You can see a picture of the hairstyle there. His family argues the punishment violates the Crown Act, which became law in Texas in September and is intended to prohibit race-based hair discrimination. The school says the Crown Act does not address hair length. And we have some more from the family, but I want to stop there, uh, Dina, and just address the statement by the school. Because, you know, as they pointed out, the Crown Act was specifically intended to protect uh black hairstyles that had been discriminated against. Now, the school's the school district's contention is that it doesn't address length. I would argue, <laughs> and I would hope a court would agree, that discriminating against a lock hairstyle is inherently going against the spirit of what the Crown Act was meant to protect. What 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 are your thoughts on this? I mean, it sounds like it would be like a first impression case, which we, because it's a brand new act, and it's never been tested in court. So at this point, it's almost like anybody can interpret it any way they want, right? But it, I agree with you that it seems uh, kind of a ridiculous interpretation to say that this law that was put in place to protect against race-based hair discrimination uh, would have this massive loophole of um, allowing the regulation of the length of a lock, right? Because that seems to me probably exactly what this act was trying to address. And just even taking a step back, I mean, I just think it's shocking that they even have something uh, talking about that they can't cover their ears or their eyes. I mean, the, the fashion in this country is perms for boys, right? And I, the number of like permed hair that goes into boys' eyes, regardless of their race. Uh, it's all over. It's all over. You see it everywhere. And uh, so they, they clearly seem like they're kind of targeting this child and picking on this child. And the fact that this high school even has this kind of policy seems to me like definitely like a violation of the Crown Act. I think it's a violation of the civil rights. I mean, you you do give away some rights as a student in a high school. Like you don't have your same free speech rights that you would otherwise, because there's this idea that your rights have to kind of align with other students being able to learn. But your hairstyle isn't going to infringe on somebody else's ability to learn. So it seems to me like a violation of actually his First Amendment your you your your speech is not only your speech your speech can be your hairstyle and that can be a statement of his belief so i think his family's got a ton of good arguments uh, to fight against something like this 
Absolutely. And I'm, I'm just having flashbacks now to my 1L legal writing classes, having to talk about free speech in schools. Um, but we'll get into in a minute what uh, actions the family uh, has been taking. But first, uh, I want to read this quote from his mother who told the Associated Press, quote, we are just trying to take it day by day. That's all we can do. We do not see the light at the end of the tunnel, but we are not giving up. Now, the dress code policy at Barbers Hill Independent School District attracted headlines back in 2020 when a black student, DeAndre Arnold, who was then a senior at Barbers Hill High School, was forbidden to return to school or attend his graduation ceremony unless he cut his locks. Now, we'll pull up this picture. Dr. Greg Poole, who has been Barbers Hill ISD superintendent since 2006, that said the policy is legal and teaches students to conform as a sacrifice benefiting everyone. School officials said George was sent to the disciplinary program for violating the dress code and the tardy policy, disrupting the in-school suspension classroom and not complying with school directives. As he completed his punishment there, district spokesperson David Bloom said George was told he would go back to in-person suspension unless he trimmed his hair. George's family has filed a formal complaint with the Texas Education Agency in a federal civil rights lawsuit against the state's governor and attorney general, along with the school district, alleging they failed to enforce the new law outlawing discrimination based on hairstyles. The school district has filed a lawsuit in the state district court asking a judge to clarify whether its dress code restrictions limiting student hair length for boys violate the Crown Act. Now, my concern here is that we are in December. We're halfway through the school year. George is a junior. He's got one more year after this. Um, but these things take time. And you know, I think it's important we're covering the story to keep media pressure on the school district, you know, to, to keep people outraged at the, the unfairness that's happening here. Because, you know, and maybe you could speak to this, Dina, the court systems take time. I mean, the other student also, you know, had uh, in 2020 the case they had filed, uh, but he graduated before there was any remedy <laughs> for the situation. So, I mean, we're, what we're seeing here is something that might be dragged out for a long time. Yes, you're right. I mean, we the court system is slow. It's possible maybe they can try to file some sort of like emergency restraining order against the district, you know, saying that they can't enforce their policy. Uh, that other than those kind of emergency type filings, you're right, it takes a long time. And and that's why it's important to highlight a story like this, because maybe it can help even the next student and the student after that. Because once a, a kid is kind of wrapped up into this, it, it might take a while. And also just putting pressure on them to do the right thing. I mean, I've always kind of been against a lot of school uh, dress policies. I've thought that the restrictions for girls not being able to wear spaghetti straps, you know, I felt like that was a very sexist school policy that so many school districts across the country did and thought it was okay. Uh, so I think that there needs to be a lot of attention about you know, schools have so much control over students. And we talk about that a lot on this show. There's so much power over students. And we as adults have to hold those adults accountable and not misuse their power against these vulnerable children who are so dependent on them to get an education. It's vital. 
Uh, and, and so seeing these kind of misuses of power is, is really kind of disappointing and disturbing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's sad because, uh, you know, the family's come out and talked about he's in in school suspension now. He was before. At one point, he was removed from the school, forced to go to an alternative school. Um, but the family has complained that when he's in in school suspension, that he's not getting any sort of meaningful education. They're giving him worksheets, but he's not learning the lessons. So how is he supposed to complete the work? It's just horrific. They're essentially denying him an education because he won't comply with their ridiculous dress code policy. And I'm glad that you uh, highlighted that how it's been used against female students. Just as a quick example, the year after I graduated, my high school imposed a no leggings policy, no yoga pants policy for the girls at the school. And there was a lot of outrage, as there should be. And the principal defended the policy by saying that leggings and yoga pants are a distraction to the male students and staff, which is disturbing on so many levels. But when you ask them to have to justify these positions, you know, what is the justification for this hair needs to be above the ears, right? I mean, how is it distracting anybody from their education if this child has locks or if that girl is wearing spaghetti straps? I mean, (laughs) come on now. I mean, I'll, I'll just give you the last word on this. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up that example I, about the, the girls. It's definitely blaming the victim. It's mm-hmm. her fault. We've seen this in rape cases all the time. Well, what was she wearing at the time? Was she asking for it? And here's the schools doing that with their policies of short shorts and leggings and spaghetti straps. Uh, the high school principal where I live said, you know, it's up to the boys not to be distracted. So we don't do a dress code policy. And I was like, thank you. Why are they not all doing that? I'm so tired of this victim blaming. And for the boy, exactly. Is it that you're uncomfortable that he happens to look like his race and his culture? Is it making you uncomfortable? Is it making the staff uncomfortable? Who is it making uncomfortable? Because it's not making him uncomfortable. And he's the only one that really matters here. Exactly. And if they cared about educating these students, they wouldn't be continuously trying to push them out of the school. (laughs) All right. Well, with that, we've got to go to our first break, but stick around because we'll have more Indisputable coming up right after this. Welcome back to Indisputable. Indisputable that has almost a million subscribers on YouTube over on the YouTube page this morning. So, hey, if you haven't subscribed yet, make sure to go do that. Help them get over a million subscribers. Should be an awesome feat. Um, I also want to remind everybody that tonight, TYT is going to have the Democratic presidential candidates, Marianne Williamson, Jank Uger, and Dean Phillips to discuss their policy positions as well as give a response to their Republican counterparts. John Idarola will be hosting the coverage for this It's crucial that they're giving these candidates a platform at a time when the Democratic establishment is trying to pretend that there is no challenge to current President Joe Biden. So since the establishment is silencing them, of course, TYT is going to give them a megaphone. So that is tonight, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. You're not going to want to miss that. And what I'm not going to want to miss is your comments. Let's start with TYT members. Biden flavor corn pop, whose name I love. I love seeing your name come up in the, in the comments section. 
says, Ravana, thank you for filling in and long time no see, Miss Doll. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for the love. Um, I am Sock. Hello, I am Sock. Says, is George Santos going to star as George Santos for the film? I don't know if anyone else could quite capture his essence. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I would hope he doesn't get like a major media career after this, but he'll probably be uh, indisposed at the time, <laughs> maybe behind bars. With that said, now is the time where I get to say, I wish a Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? I feel French! Back off! I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. The child's meal. I'll take a read from sir. You're certainly behaving like one. You don't have a book? You don't have a book or Pokemon cards? You gave me a donkey, two kids' meals in a row because I'm an adult. I came there as a child. I wanted a child's nostalgia meal. If I can't have it, I want to read one. This is McDonald's Canada. McDonald's Canada shouldn't treat customers like this. He says he has no books or Pokemon cards left in stock from the whole rack of them. He gives me a donkey two times in a row. McDonald's, I want to press charges on McDonald's. You're behaving worse than my disabled children, I'll no, tell you that. $6. I do not. I want my six I want my donation back too. No, I'm not being worse than a sick child. I want yes, you are. Too. Put it online. Put it online. I'm being targeted. Oh, I will if you want. I do. I wasn't going to, Please but I will. Please put it online. I'll continue yeah. because I'm being targeted. Why can I not get a child meal? No, here's a... No, you're okay. No, you, you don't have it. You don't have a book or, chip or a Pokemon card. My wish is to come to Churro, Nova Scotia, Canada, McDonald's, and say they don't have a book or Pokemon cards in the building. This isn't right, sir. Are you the manager? I wish to speak to the manager. I want to complain. Mm-hmm. I'm sober and I'm a wise, wise man. I want to nod on that receipt. Yeah, I have a cell phone. Yeah, you can scan it. You can go online. I'm making a scene because you're being bad. Yes, sir, you are. I don't believe you. Are you lying to me on Sunday, on God's day? Are you lying to me, sir, on Sunday, on God's day? Are you, sir? Look me in the eyes and say, you're not sure. by the way. He said in that clip, I'm sober and I'm a wise, wise man. Two things I'm not sure are true. <laughs> but believe it or not, this video gets even crazier. No, man, I need my money back. Excuse you. I'm dealing with this manager here. Maybe he can get you on this patch. Yeah, no, 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 no. We're on camera. So no, no, no. You came into my zone. Do it. Honey, back up. I'll press charges, dude. I want. I don't care if you press charges. Okay, then do it, bro. I'm saying do it. He said you do it. Please leave, sir. You are now. Do it. Do it, dude. Who are you? Yeah, right. Meet you outside, bitch. All right, let's go. I'll meet you. Let's find it out. Yeah, okay. Look at you. How big are your ankles? Size small? I'm like a cornered dog, buddy. I bite your nose off, bitch. Hun! 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 In the face, man. Oh. Do it on camera. Oh, there's more. Back up. Back up. You hit. 
hurt me. And I'm ready to hurt you. I'm ready to bite you. Back up. You're on camera. You hit me. Can you, can you get me bandage? You want to go? Let me get rid of this backpack. We can go. Now we're ready to go. Look at that. Now I can fight. Well, that video had some twists and turns to it. My personal favorite was when he started barking. Because again, it really, really helped his argument that he was sober and that he was a very intelligent man and behaving godly, even as he uh, insinuated that he was, uh, you know, doing something Jesus would support in this video. Um, Dina, we all have bad days, right? We all have frustrating days where we feel like we could snap. Um, But thankfully, we don't always give in to those impulses and begin barking at strangers at a McDonald's and threatening to sue them because they just give you your Pokemon cards. Yes, I always do like to preface it as saying everybody has a bad day. Uh, This kind of reminds me, though, I mean, honestly, even when I traveled kind of internationally 20, 30 years ago, there was the sentiment of the bad American, right? Like a lot of countries just weren't very friendly because they were so used to bad American tourists. We were rude. I can't even imagine now how bad it has gotten that we are spreading our caronicity around the world because he sounds American to me, especially the fact that he keeps on highlighting he's in Canada, like as if that's unusual or important. And that entitled American spirit that he should get what he wants just because he asked for it. Uh, We're spreading around the globe and it doesn't do well for the rest of us tourists who want to be the friendly American, but uh, tourists like him give us a bad name. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I had a group of friends who went to Italy and uh, as soon as they said anyone found out they were American uh, any service workers, their treatment <laughs> quality definitely went down <laughs> a bit. And I did see uh, someone mention in the chat that uh, American MAGA spread its nonsense to Canada as well. And there are a lot of Canadian right wingers who identify with that. So American exports not looking fantastic right now. We're speaking of, you know, uh, being around the world. And it's time for this double dose. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You feel free! Back off! I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. You got on the train without a swipe card. It's not free. So how do you get on the public transport system? We're supposed to support it. It's not free. I wonder if they've got problems. You can get your glass, you get your nails done, you get a bloody new mobile, but you can't afford to get a Mikey card. You're not my mother. So it doesn't matter. matter. Like it pisses me off because okay. people like you abuse hey, it. Who are you? You don't have to tell me what to oh, do. My name is Mary. Oh, okay. Good for you, Mary. Ignore me, bitch. Whoa. Oh, that you can't. Sheesh, Mary. Got an international Karen. This video was posted to the Instagram account Brown Cardigan on Sunday. Now the Karen dressed in all black is seen approaching a younger woman seated quietly on the tram. 
But it's not long before the Australian Karen proceeds to rant and swear over whether the younger passenger swiped her travel card on a Melbourne tram. She had no confirmation that the woman didn't swipe her travel card, but decided to take it upon herself to accuse the woman of not paying, accuse the uh, woman of stealing from the tram. And I I was saying this in the break, Dina, I take public transit here in Chicago every day. And sometimes I see people hop the turnstile. And I said, when I see people hop the turnstile, no, I didn't because it's not my problem (laughs) because it's not my business. They might have somewhere to go and they just can't afford to pay. And I empathize with that, you know, or they're in a rush. I don't care. It's really not my problem, (laughs) you know, and then we see places like New York that highlight all of the, the theft from turnstile hoppers, but it is, it pales in comparison to the amount of uh, taxpayer dollars that the city has to shell out in settlements for police misconduct. You know, so it's it's not that much money. I can see maybe getting a little annoyed at it, but to just go up and accost someone over it seems like she took things too far. I mean, I agree. I could see if she saw that same person do it like every day for a week or something. Maybe then you're going to tell somebody in the station about it. But you kind of like I said before, everyone has a bad day. You have no idea what's going on with that person, right? Like they may have forgotten it that day and they're on their way to an interview and it's that person's really bad day. And I think we have to give each other a little bit of grace here of, you know, people are trying to live their lives the best that they can. And do you really have to be kind of that like moral judgment police where the moment you see something, you say something, I mean, you know, sometimes if it's serious, I would say yes. But in a situation like that, uh, maybe you kind of give it a pass. And if if it becomes like, oh my gosh, this person is whatever, and it bothers you so much, I would still say not to go up to that person because mm-hmm. it's really none of your business. Um, at that point, tell like a station person and then it's up to them if they want to do something or not. Absolutely. And if this was happening in America, I would say maybe don't go up to somebody because a lot of people in America have guns. And honestly, are you really going to put your life on the line for something that's not really any of your business in the first place? I wouldn't. (laughs) Of course, Australia probably doesn't have nearly the amount of (laughs) problems with guns that we do. Um, But with that, we're going to go to our next break, but stick around because when we come back, we're going to talk about the criminalization of children in schools. Stick around for that. Welcome back to Indisputable. I'm Ravana. Let's take a look at some of your comments. Uh, member section, Lynn says, Karen doesn't realize he's not at Burger King. Otherwise, he could have had it his way. <laughs> uh, uh, there, it does so frustrate me, to, though, to see somebody berate a minimum wage worker like that. I mean, come on, guys. Come on, guys. Um, Cray Cray Souffle says, can this male Karen have his Pokemon card supersized? I wonder if he was buying the meal for him. I feel like he was, right? I didn't see any like child that seemed to belong to him in that video. Um, Biden flavor corn pop says, I saw a couple Karens when I was on the public transport in Sydney. Not surprised about him being in Melbourne. Ugh, sorry you had to deal with some some Karens. <laughs> over there down under um 
over from YouTube. Dapper Spaghetti Monster, which is a hell of a name, says, as a Pokemon card player, he only wants this to sell. I can't stand guys like him. Interesting way to acquire Pokemon cards. I wonder if he was just McDonald's hopping, getting Happy Meals at every McDonald's in the area. Um, Cyber Gothica says, that's... um, uh, by the book, Karen, one manager, check. Two, God, check. Three, Sunday, check. <laughs> he was just knocking them all out. Click, punched every hole on his Karen card. Um, visitor says, my man needs that legendary Pokemon card. Listen, I played Pokemon when I was a kid. Take those things very seriously, but then I grew up. Um, now I don't get angry about Pokemon cards. <laughs> Maybe someday he'll grow up too. Jack says, uh, Mary was quite contrary about the woman on the tram. I love that moment where she's like, who are you? And the woman says, I'm Mary, matter of factly. I don't think that's exactly what she was asking or insinuating with that question, but okay, good to know. Malcolm X says, well, Mary, now your name is Gary. <laughs> um, and Jeff Test Pilot says, if this was one of the worst things going on in the world, honestly, the world wouldn't be doing too bad, right? About the uh, Karen from down under over on Twitch. Omega says how many McDonald's run out of toys or things for happy meals because people have to make everything to a way to get a stupid profit margin. See, I didn't see it that way. I didn't realize that these people are just trying to, to get these Pokemon cards to sell. Is there a market for that? Maybe I need to learn more about that. Uh, it's just Vegas says who doesn't bark before they fight. <laughs> Y'all are just weird. <laughs> you know, I got to intimidate them somehow. And T-Pain says he's going to catch a charge, not a Pokemon. <laughs> Got to catch them all. <laughs> Assault battery. <laughs> um, and then Octo Squiddy says about the tram ticket, uh, Karen, not my per- turnstile, not my problem. And I couldn't agree more. Now, uh, with that, let's get into this next story. I think it's important to cover, you know, as someone who used to work and special education who's worked at disability advocacy, this story has been plaguing my mind and hurting my heart because in Maryland, three times a week on average, a police car pulls up to a school in Wicomico County on Maryland's Eastern shore. A student is brought out, handcuffed, and placed inside for transport to a hospital emergency room for a psychiatric evaluation. Over the past eight years, the process has been used at least 750 times on students, some of them as young as five years old. AP reported, the state law that allows for these removals, known as petitions for emergency evaluation, is meant to be limited to people with severe mental illness who are endangering their own lives or safety or someone else's life. It's the first step toward getting someone involuntarily committed to a psychiatric hospital. But advocates say schools across the country are sending children to the emergency room for psychiatric evaluations in response to behaviors prompted by bullying or frustration over assignments. The ER trips, they say, often follow months, sometimes years of their needs not being met. Black students are more frequently subjected to these removals than their peers, according to available data. Advocates point to students with disabilities also being removed at higher rates. 
schools in Wicomico County agreed not to misuse emergency petitions as part of a 2017 settlement with the United States Department of Justice. But while the number of suspensions and expulsions declined, mandated trips to emergency room ticked up. Last year, children were handcuffed and sent to the emergency room at least 117 times from Wicomico schools, about once per every 100 students, according to data obtained from public records requests to the Wicomico County Sheriff's Office. At least 40% were 12 or younger. More than half were black children, even though a little more than a third of Wicomico public school children are black. More from that report. In interviews, dozens of students, parents, educators, lawyers, and advocates for students with disabilities in the county said a lack of resources and trained staff combined with a punitive culture in some schools are behind the misuse of emergency petitions. And we'll get into some some horrifying testimony from parents and students who this has happened to in just a second. Um, But I'll add, we've discussed now several times on this show just today, uh, how punitive uh, actions to enforce, you know, discipline in schools are being taken to the detriment of the students in those schools. And I'll just add my personal input as someone who worked in an alternative school while I was in college. I worked with students who had disabilities. I've been trained in therapeutic crisis intervention. It's not easy. It's a hard job. I got hit. I got spit on. But I was the adult in that scenario, and I had training to deal with those situations, to uh, to disarm <laughs> the situation, to help de-escalate the situation. And I knew that even though that job was hard, I took that job and I had a duty to those children uh, to do that. But I also saw peers who were a lot less willing to engage in that work, to do what was hard who wanted to call the police when a student was misbehaving because they didn't want to have to go through the difficult process and the steps of de-escalation. They didn't want to do that work. And just seeing it in the microcosm of the school I worked in made me horrified of what might be going on all across the country. And this article has only confirmed it because it's not just happening here in this one county in Maryland. It's happening all across the country. Uh, and Dina, I'll just bring you in here, you know, before we get into the specific comments from the parents about what's going on. I mean, the trauma that's being inflicted on these kids by being handcuffed and put in the back of, uh, of cop cars as if they're criminals uh, when they might just be getting bullied and, you know, responding to the bullying. Yeah, this was definitely very disturbing. And the point about that there being a settlement in 2017 with the Department of Justice means that there was a finding by the Department of Justice that they were misusing these petitions. uh, And that's why they had to agree to not use them. So and we can see it in the facts, too. I mean, the mental health crisis in this country is real. We should not minimize it like we need to desperately do more because it is hurting. Children, teenagers, adults, it's a major crisis. And I do think schools could play a role in being partners. Sometimes families don't recognize the signs either because of lack of 
uh, awareness around it or denial. There's so much shame around it. So they're ideally they would be partners and would have conversations with families. But some of those facts, the fact that most of them were under 12, we know psychiatric conditions usually happen much older. Uh, you know, they tend to come out in the later teen years. So that's an odd fact. And then it was disproportionately black children where the, the statistics are not that black children are disproportionately more mentally ill. That's not true. So those facts were like a mismatch of what you would think uh, psychiatric disorders would show in the children. So that's probably part of the reason why the DOJ found that they were misusing it. And it sounds like continuing to misuse it, which is just, I think is so horrible, not only for those children who have to go through this, but horrible for the true need that there is to help out um, children and families who have undiagnosed psychiatric conditions or untreated psychiatric conditions uh, who really need our help. Uh, but when you're misusing the power that the state has given you in order to try to help these kids and using it for punitive purposes, for you know discipline, you're it's like a double mockery. You're, you're hurting these kids and then you're failing the kids who need help. It's, it's a sad story. Absolutely. And I'm sure that, uh, you know, the lack of funding, public education, the low pay for cr crucial workers like social workers and who provide essential services to these kids is playing no small part uh, in this too large of classroom sizes uh, with bad student to teacher ratios, not to excuse the use of these, but just to add context um, and it's mortifying. And what's really mortifying is what these children and what the parents are saying is happening to them. Because one Wicomico mom who asked for anonymity because she feared retaliation from the school. She feared retaliation from the school for talking about the mistreatment of her child. The school should not have the power <laughs> to retaliate against her for being open and honest about what happened. That should be scary. Recall the terror she felt when her son's school called and said they were going to have him assessed for a forced psychiatric hospitalization. When she arrived at the school, she said her son was already in handcuffs. He was put in the back of a police car and taken to the hospital. He said his wrists hurt from the handcuffs. The mother said he was just really quiet, just sitting there. He didn't understand why he was in the hospital. Wicomico teenager described a years-long process of becoming alienated from school with an emergency petition as the ultimate break. He said he was bullied in middle school over a series of months until one day he snapped and hit the student who had been taunting him. School called the police. He told the officers not to touch him and that he needed to calm down. Instead, the officers grabbed him and shoved him into the ground, he said. He was handcuffed and transported to the emergency room. But when he returned, he said the only thing that was different was how he felt about the adults in the building. I got used to not trusting people, not talking to people at school. He said nothing else really changed. And that is a story of how this school ruined his experience in education, deprived him, deprived him of this important time of his life where he could be socializing, where he should be learning. And instead, He's just withdrawn. He goes to school. He sits there silently. You know, he gets bullied. He feels apprehensive about the adults, in, not just in his school now, 
put in his life. He's going to carry that with him, that distrust. And it's entirely the fault of the school in overutilizing calling the police, which, you know, is something that should be an absolute last resort in situations where there's actual danger uh, to to that child, to, you know, the other children. This is just, you know, disappointing. The whole thing is so disheartening and disappointing. I mean, absolutely. And we have to just get the police department out of mental health, period. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see it again. Uh, it, it just interactions with, you know, we see family members of a mentally ill person calling the police because they know nobody else to call. And then the police comes and shoots and kills their mentally ill relative. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I've talked on you know TV about an iteration of that story. It's because we have a complete lack of resources of how to deal with mentally ill uh, people in this country. And it's a huge failing for people who need help. And, and that's why, like I said, this, this story pains me even more because uh, the state tried to put something in place to help. They shouldn't be putting a police officer. There should be another separate type of department who goes and helps somebody who's truly mentally ill. But that was described that uh, student was not mental illness uh, at all. And so for him to kind of get swept up into what was supposed to be a well-meaning policy, uh, like you said, of probably people who didn't want to do the hard work. It's not easy dealing with children. It's not easy dealing with children who maybe don't want to do what you want to do or whatever. Um, but that's not an excuse to, as you said, completely take away his his civil rights, his dignity, traumatize him and his family, and really you know harm his education the way that they are. Yeah, absolutely. An excellent point about uh, how this extends just beyond the school and how we treat mental health uh, or perceived mental health, uh, you know, issues or episodes uh, in day-to-day interactions and how that's criminalized as well. This country needs to completely overhaul the way that we talk about and treat uh, mental health. And maybe we can actually get some meaningful change. This is a mortifying story coming from Atlanta Black Star. Concerned parents of Black and biracial students are calling for the Marysville Public Schools District in Michigan to take action to protect their children against racist, verbal, and physical attacks at Marysville Middle School. The past month alone, the urgency has heightened after one student not only threatened to kill all of the Black students, but listed them by name. More from Atlanta Black Star. On Friday, November 10th, according to the parents and students, one student elevated his use of racial slurs and said he was going to have his KKK family members hang and kill all of the Black students at Marysville Middle School before listing by name those he planned to target. One mother whose child was targeted by the bigoted schoolyard bully revealed that the parent of the student making the threats allegedly arrived at the school armed with a gun. While the incident was alarming in a school district where only 2.7% of the population is black, it sadly wasn't surprising to the woman. According to her, children of color, including her own, have been grappling with such challenges for years. Picture of this parent, Holly Seisminski, who is white with a biracial child, 
told ABC7 Action News, quote, it was very scary. I was in tears. Like, do I send him to school? He talked about pulling him out and doing online schooling, going to a different school. Uh, it's not fair, though. It's where his friends are. He's always been in Marysville. She also lamented for her son, Devin Kidd. She said, quote, I'm, uh, I'm tired of my son coming home or getting in my car after school upset because of something that's out of his control, as simple as skin color, for the way he looks, his hair. She also added that white students have called Devin the N-word almost every day for two years. Nothing's been done about it. When asked about how he feels about being bombarded with the racial epithet for so long, he says he is partly scared, sad, and mad. He also says he feels so powerless and unprotected that he stopped looking forward, uh, stopped looking toward the school administration to protect him. We used to go down to the principal's office. Since that's never worked out, we've just stopped uh, listening and stopped caring, Devin said. Another student who did not want to list her name said it started with small racial jokes and then remarks, and then it escalated to being called the N-word and now the threats. She even noted that when she defended herself in a fight against a student who made the threats, she was given a 10-day suspension from school. Another student was also suspended because of the altercation, but it is unclear if the student who used the slur was punished. She said, I don't feel safe. School is a place where I should be learning, not fearing for my safety. The NAACP has stepped in on the young student's behalf, saying the student has been used, uh, using race as a tool of intimidation for some time. This is a byproduct of a larger issue. Now, Kevin Watkins, who's the president of the local NAACP chapter, said to click on Detroit, quote, we are working with the administration to begin to take steps to not only bring about change regarding the individual complaints that have been brought to our attention, but to begin to create change to the systemic issues that have been ingrained in this district for years. Now, here are the members of the district. Dr. Sean K. Whiteman, couldn't make that name up if I tried. The district superintendent says he is aware of the reports and has launched an investigation into the claim a parent showed up on the campus with a gun. Also pictured are Marysville Middle School Principal Jay Schultz and Assistant Principal Tom Fricken. It's him on the right. Now, in a statement to ABC7 Action News, Whiteman said in part, quote, we are looking into the claim that a particular student's parent came to the school armed. This allegation is being investigated collaboratively with local law enforcement to ensure the safety and security of our school community. We are committed to taking all necessary measures to address any potential security concerns. But, Dean, I don't see anything in that statement about the racial harassment that the students in this district in this specific school have been subjected to. I don't see anything about making the school safer for them so that they can actually get an education, which is being hindered right now because of this onslaught of racial discrimination that they're being subjected to on a daily basis that for years has been allowed to carry on? Is there an investigation into the principal that the students said refused to take action against these uh, students using racial slurs? That is interesting to me because it's completely absent from the statement. I mean, the length of time that this is going on is was shocking. You know, it's clear hate speech, um, clear racist language, naming um, the people he wanted to kill. It's shocking how long it was going on without doing anything. And the thing that I thought about 
uh, when I read this was about how necessary groups like the NAACP are. Because when you're a minority, you have to have a group like that speak for you. It's very hard to have any kind of political power, political clout, influence on your own. And that's really what was happening. This family was on their own trying to deal with somebody who had more power than them, this school administrator. And he was willing to look the other way because he didn't care that much about what they thought. He wasn't that worried about their actions, their votes. And that's often what happens when you're a minority uh, because majority rules, right? So thank goodness for groups like that. And it also makes me think too, how in this day and age, you know, we talk a lot about like Trump and how important it is to get you know, Trump not elected, but it's also so important for us to care about our local elections, school board, um, city council, these kind of local elections matter a lot. And even if you're the minority, if you get organized and you get allies around you, you can make change. And you hate to have to tell the victim to do that. But honestly, in this country, you you need to get organized. You need to get your allies. You need to go out and vote. And you, and you need to back organizations like the NCAAP who's willing to stand up for you when no one else will. Absolutely. And hopefully we're able to give an update on the story. Hopefully these students will get some justice and there'll be some change in this community and they'll take uh, these issues of, of race discrimination more seriously in the future. Uh, but with that, we've got to go to our next break. But stick around because we have a shocking story of a family being evicted for trying to keep their community safe. A little outside of Chicago, 30-year-old Diamond Jones, Illinois resident, and her family were evicted after she called the police multiple times to report a string of violent activity near her home. That's right. She was evicted for reporting crimes. Atlanta Black Star coming in with the details. Jones is suing the village of Rickton Park, a predominantly black southern suburb of Chicago, after she was kicked out for violating the controversial crime-free housing ordinance, which puts the village in a position to require the landlord to evict a tenant for causing an unreasonably high number of calls to the police or other alleged criminal-related activity. A housing expert told the Chicago Sun-Times that the law targets non-white renters and shouldn't be used to drive them out of their communities. Jones's lawsuit was filed earlier this month to remedy the harm that she suffered as a direct result of the village's actions and to ensure that Rickton Park's crime-free housing ordinance is declared unconstitutional, the document stated claims that her First and Fourteenth Amendment rights were violated as a result of this matter. And she's working with the Chicago Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights, wonderful organization, worked with them in the past, and they put out a press release. Um, things shifted in June 2022 when a shooting occurred in the village down the street of Jones's residence. Jones was at work while her mother was watching her kids. It led the family to call the local police department. However, doing so opened them up to a wave of threats online. Because of this, they contacted law enforcement for a second time. The violence against them escalated two days later when a perp opened fire at her home. Her mother heard gunshots and glass breaking and fell to the floor until the incident was over. Once the shooting stopped, she was able to check whether the children were harmed. The lawsuit said the shooting caused damage throughout Miss Jones's home. 
with bullet holes and fragments spraying multiple rooms, including the girl's bedroom. They reached out to police again, and following the attack, a patrol car was stationed outside of the home. Jones, who moved into the rental property in 2018, was notified that she violated the CFO and was given a 10-day eviction notice. The note was placed on her door, and according to the lawsuit, it was the first time she heard about the law. Chicago Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights argued that CFOs caused renters like Jones to be more reluctant to report crimes to avoid getting evicted. Quote, I reached out to those who were supposed to protect me and my family, but they let us down. I was ultimately evicted from the home we had lived in for four years as a consequence of these events. I sincerely hope that no one else has to go through what I did. I feel like I lost everything, Jones said in the press release. And I worked with individuals who were going through eviction proceedings, discriminatory eviction proceedings, and that sentiment was also echoed by them because evictions can ruin your life. Having an eviction, not not even uh, to even if you beat the eviction, just to have one filed against you can ruin your ability to get housing unless you get it uh, cleared from your record. So to actually be evicted can completely inhibit your ability to find uh, housing, to find safe housing in a safe neighborhood with reputable landlords. Um, Dina, what is your impression of this situation, the likelihood that you know she might be successful with her claims? Well, it sounds like Village Park is a planned community and that makes it a little bit different. And, you know, I mean, there more research, but that's what it seems to me. It's a planned community. And we know that at that point, it's like a private community and private entities can't violate your constitutional rights uh, unless it's like a protected class. And we're talking about discrimination, which that is not what she's talking about here. She's talking about things like a First Amendment. If you live in a homeowners association, they can say that you cannot put up a political sign on your yard. If that, if my city said that to me, that would be a violation of my First Amendment. But because this is a private planned community that you live in, they're allowed to restrict political signs. So I think that that's how they're going to get around any kind of violation of, of free speech. It does seem just crazy on its face that they are restricting the number of times somebody's trying to call for help. And it might take the uh, the homeowners in that area maybe didn't realize that this ordinance had been passed and go to change the ordinance. I think probably the reason why they have this is I think that there's a I, I think there's a difference for how police patrol inside a homeowners association. I think they get charged or have to like pay a certain amount because essentially you're asking the police to come onto private property. So my guess is it always comes down to money. They put this here because they don't want somebody to uh, have a police officer come too many times. And then the homeowner bill, let's say, to the law enforcement is higher. And I think that's probably why they did something like this. And unfortunately, you know, you may not realize when you go into a plant community that you have these kind of restrictions. You don't have as much rights. The trade-off is maybe you don't like political signs on your thing and you like everybody's house have to be painted a certain color or whatever, but there are trade-offs and it really does take the the homeowners in that association to change an ordinance like this. 
it would be really sad if it turns out that they're sacrificing the safety of the people who live there because they wanted to save a few bucks, but we'll keep everybody updated as that story uh, continues to develop. Um, but with that, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for what in the red state hell? You can take a gun, shoot somebody in the face. It's not hard. Sometimes it might even be fun if they're a godless commie. Now what they're trying to do is sneak the COVID vaccine in your salads. I never had, I hate math. Somebody say amen. Do you feel highly confident that when you go back and is a, a senior member of this uh, uh, administration, President Trump's administration, starting in the afternoon of the 20th of January of 2025, uh, do you feel conf confident that you will be able to deliver the goods, that we can have serious prosecutions and accountability? And I want the Morning Joe producers that watch us and all the producers that watch us, this is just not rhetoric. We're absolutely dead serious. We're not, you, you cannot have a constitutional republic and allow what these uh, deep staters have done to the country. The deep state, the administrative state, the fourth branch of government never mentioned in the constitution is going to be taken apart brick by brick. And the people that did these evil deeds will be held accountable and prosecuted, criminal prosecutions. Uh, Cash, I, I know you're probably going to be head of the CIA. But do you believe that you can deliver the goods on this in a pretty short in a pretty short order of the first couple of months so we can get rolling on prosecutions? Yes, we got the bench for it, Bannon, and you know those guys. I'm not going to go out there and say their names right now so the radical left-wing media can terrorize them. But, <clears throat> excuse me, the one thing we learned in the Trump administration the first go-round is we got to put in all-America patriots top to bottom. And we got them for law enforcement. We got them for intel collection. We got them for offensive operations. We got them for DOD, CIA, everywhere. And the one thing we will do— that they never will do is we will follow the facts and the law and go to courts of law and correct these justices and lawyers who have been prosecuting these cases based on politics and actually issuing them as lawfare. We will go out and find the conspirators, not just in government, but in the media. Yes, we're going to come after the people in the media who lied about American citizens, who helped Joe Biden rig presidential elections. We're going to come after you, whether it's criminally or civilly, we'll figure that out. But yeah, we're putting you all on notice. And Steve, this is why they hate us. This is why we're tyrannical. This is why we're dictators, because we're actually going to use the Constitution to prosecute them for crimes they said we have always been guilty of, but never have. He said radical left wing media. I wonder if he was talking about us. Now, that was Cash Patel promising Steve Bannon, who's a fellow member of the former Trump Advisor Club, that the former president means to deliver on the vengeance he's vowed to exact should he win re-election to the White House next year. Fingers crossed that doesn't happen. While hosting Patel on his War Room podcast Tuesday, Bannon asked if he felt highly confident that a fresh Trump administration could quickly get rolling on prosecutions. Patel, who held a number of national security roles in the Trump administration, replied that they already had the bench for it. And Dina, I'm so I'm so ready to hear what your impressions were of this conversation and the confidence that he has that they'll be able to weaponize the the justice system to pass or you know to enact their right wing tour of vengeance essentially and prosecute any of their perceived political enemies. 
This is such an important story because a massive amount is happening. And if we're not paying attention, it's going to be drastic. There's something called Project 2025 and Leonard Leo and a huge amount of money is going into it. And they are planning on having 3,000 3, employees throughout the federal government ready to be installed day one of a Trump administration. They will be Trump loyalists and they will replace a lot of, when they call it this deep state, they're talking about career employees who stay at, yes, the SEC, the Department of Justice, um, the CIA, all of our administrations that function our government. And they stay there um, regardless of who the president is. They want to replace 3,000 of them. So across the board, it becomes Trump loyalists. And we know they can do this because they did do this. If you know, the reason why Trump was able to appoint so many judges was because before he was elected, um, the Republicans had a whole list of very conservative Republicans ready on day one that he started appointing and did it at such a speed because they didn't have to go out and find people. So that's what they're doing now, but they're going to be doing it with employees across the administration. That should be very scary. And the, the case he's talking about also in terms of the administration was just in front of the Supreme Court and Tchaikovsky, and they are trying to make it harder for the Securities and Exchange Commission to basically implement their rules, uh, which means that all of our protections around buying stock, they wanna make it harder. Uh, the Supreme Court ruled in their favor over the EPA, making it harder for the EPA to implement their rules. And now they're going after our, our 401ks. This stuff is happening in real time with the Supreme Court. We'll see in June how they rule on that. But in addition, they plan on putting this uh, government into place day one of the Trump administration. Absolutely. Adita has an excellent video out about that uh, <laughs> case on Midas Touch. Everyone check it out. I watched it this morning. Very educational. Um, and you're exactly right. This is something that we should, I'm glad that you brought attention to it. We should be talking about, we should be warning people about uh, because it's possible that he wins this election and that should scare people. I, I would hope it would scare the Democratic Party you know, into maybe putting up a candidate who's more ready for the job to run against the danger that is Trump. But, you know, maybe at least to give the people some things that are going to get them to go to the polls, aside from just the fear of this project and and this, uh, you know, their policies being put into law. Um, but with that, Dina, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, it's been wonderful. Can you remind the people where they can find your content and follow you? Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation. They can follow me on Astina Doll across all platforms, YouTube, X, Instagram, and TikTok. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you to everyone in the audience for joining us today. Um, we'll be back with more Indisputable tomorrow. Same time, same place.